0: America's democracy hangs in the balance while you're tuned into politics Greer McVeigh host of the capital G podcast will help you make sense of the news of the day and more importantly understand how what goes on in our nation's capital is important to you and your family Greer shares insights and opinions in the lead-up to the election and then we'll help guide you through the anticipated aftermath and into the next administration. That's politics with a capital G.
1: Welcome to the Capital G Podcast. I'm your host, Greer McVeigh. We have had a spectacularly busy, crazy, and historic week in uh, national politics that uh, began with the impeachment trial of a president. Let me rephrase that. The second impeachment trial of a president that ended in a not guilty, with a not guilty verdict, but that sparked a civil war anew. Well, the civil war has been brewing, (laughs) but it's, they're like a civil war within a civil war. And then, you know, it's like, okay, let's, let's get back to business. Meanwhile, the Republican party's in complete disarray, the nation's all over the place. But fortunately, our current president, Joe Biden, is just plugging away, doing what he's got to do. Um, I actually have a couple of thoughts on that, but you know, we'll get to that in just a minute. First, let's take a look at today's big numbers. Uh, 600 million, that's a real big number. 600 million, that's the number of doses of vaccine for the coronavirus expected to be available by July, which is enough to vaccinate all of America. So the Joe Biden administration actually has a plan for how we're gonna get through this pandemic, come out on the other side, and um, with basically getting everybody vaccinated, or at least everybody who wants to be vaccinated, vaccinated. There's not an expectation, of course, there are anti-vaxxers and children and, uh, you know, certain people who are not really candidates for the vaccine, but it looks like we'd have enough people vaccinated uh, by the end of the summer to sort of start to get ourselves back to normal. So that's good news. The next big number is 490,176. 490 that is less than 10,000 away from half a million people. Um, That's the number of people who have died of coronavirus. This thing that started off with the then-President Trump as, um, who called him? Joe Biden last night called him... um, The former, the former (laughs) guy—I think that's what he called it—the former guy, the you know, the old, the the last, the last guy, or something like that. I think he called him the former guy. Uh, But that would be Trump, the former guy. Um, You know, in the early days, oh, there's only one case. Oh, there's just 15. It'll soon be zero. Oh, we'll get back. We gotta get back to work. We'll be out at uh, Easter. We'll be going to churches. The churches will be filled on Easter. That was last. April, March and April. Here we are in February, nearly a year later, well over a year later from when he first found out. And not only did we not go from 15 to 0 or 1 or we barely have any year or whatever, to it just exploding and being all over the place. So we now have almost a half a million people who have died unnecessarily. And that's just a very, that's a tragic thing, but I digress. Um, next big number is 2 million or over 2 million. Uh, between 2 and 3 million people who are without power in Texas right now, literally as as I speak, people are without power. Um, there's a huge snowstorm that, uh, uh, uh blizzard-like conditions, but a snowstorm that came through a big cold front that came through Texas and uh, knocked out power in a lot of different ways, right? you got frozen lines uh, uh, lines, and uh, the power grid is impacted and the, the, the companies that deliver power are unable to do what they do. Meanwhile, Governor Abbott is busy lying to the people of America. He's probably not, I guess he's not even talking to Texans since they don't have power, they can't hear him on TV. But rather than for the governor to go on TV and tell people what to do and where to go get food and where to get shelter and where to get heat or warmth or blankets or, you know, anything helpful, he goes on Fox News and starts talking about it's AOC's fault. It's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's fault that Texas doesn't have power. Yeah. Because she wrote the green new deal or she was, you know, the main person behind the green new deal pushing for that. And he's like, yeah, and the windmills are frozen. And and that's, that's why. And it's like, dude, first of all, you're lying. Secondly, nobody even believes your lie. So you really should stop. Um, you know, she's in New York minding her own damn business. And you're over here talking about it's her fault that your state is that you got millions of people without power dying. I think over uh, 21 people have died in Texas so far. I think I saw a number of about, I think I saw 30 in the regions. I think that might've gone a little beyond. Four people died in a house fire. Uh, I believe that was in Houston. You've got people dying of, 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 um, what do you call it? When you breathe in, uh, you know, breathing breathing in gas is you know through asphyxiation, I can't think of the term. but um hydro uh, carbon monoxide poisoning, or you know, I didn't do science. Carbon monoxide, carbon dioxide, I guess carbon monoxide poisoning, some people died in the fire. You got people freezing to death. You got people dying in car accidents. I think most of the people who have died have been in some sort of vehicle fatality on the roads, which are very icy. And they're expecting more of that weather to come through. So please be careful. And Texas has a very special place in my heart. I used to live in Texas. I went to grad school in Texas, in Houston. And I have got, I still have very, very dear friends there. So um, not just them, but everybody just be safe and be careful out there. And anybody in the region, um, you know, they're expecting this kind of weather to sort of sweep through and move up into the New England area. So it just comes through the Midwest and then sort of heads up northeast. Um, and I've got a son in New York and friends and uh, family friends now in Boston. So all of you just just be careful out there stay off the roads if you can. Make sure you you're prepared that you've got whatever you need, food, supplies, gas in your car, if you can get it. And if you find yourself really, really getting cold and you don't have power in the car, in the house and go sit in the car, turn the heater on, make sure the windows crack. You're not in the garage. Um, you know, certainly not in the garage with the door closed. That's the that's the number one thing. Um, and then the last big number. Let me let me just one last thing on on this Texas thing. Um. Governor Abbott is is lying about what the problem is, and as reporting is now starting to show, a big part of the problem has to do with investments in the states' infrastructure and the kinds of equipment that they bought, and the kinds of of uh, 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 turbines and and uh, windmills that they bought in terms of their green energy, but and but also investments not made and deregulation. And that deregulation, as we move forward on the Capital G podcast, I will talk more over the, you know, over time about deregulation. It is really a a big problem and it is just something that really irritates me in large part because it is such a big GOP talking point about, well, we can't have, you know, all this regulation, and they always associate regulation It's job-killing regulation, and it's, you know, it's choking the economy, and this crippling regulation, and businesses can't operate because of the, well, what regulation gets you is, um, you know, equipment that has to be de-iced, or that has to be maintained, or that there's some sort of standard that when the you know, when times are great on a beautiful sunny day, yeah, maybe it doesn't matter that you, you know, don't have the right equipment or it hasn't been maintained or it hasn't been serviced. It matters though when you have any an incident and whether that incident is a fire, a flood, a a thunderstorm, or blizzard, or ice storm or whatever, whatever it may be. Um, you know, putting water in, dumping water in waterways, lakes, rivers, streams, it goes down downstream into the taps of the water faucets of families, usually lower income uh, minority families, they tend to be the ones that are most impacted. So regulation, now just regulation for no good reason is a different issue. And regulation needs to be thoughtful and all of that. So at any rate, I just want to put that out there. But this right now is something that probably could have been mitigated had they had the 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 Texas legislature done their job. They did not. And it isn't AOC's fault. Uh, now so the, the last big number that I'm going to bring you today is two. And two is, (laughs) that's a big number, two is the number of Republican parties that we have. There is now a, you know, what I'm calling a civil war, but certainly a battle for control of the Republican party. And it isn't pretty. So uh, we're going to have to, over the next couple of years, right, between now and the midterms, this probably will play itself out, and it's just going to be interesting to watch. And I'll, I'll get back to that in a minute. First, I want to talk about Joe Biden. President, President Biden has been busy. You know, while there's been an a, a, a impeachment trial and there's all this infighting on the Republican Party and, and uh, you know, things going on in the country, Joe Biden put his head down. He went to work. He and Kamala Harris, Vice President Kamala Harris, we're like you know what we got stuff to do we're not commenting on that we're not getting involved in all those you know Washington DC political shenanigans it's it's got to be hard for them cuz every time a reporter sees them they're asking you know what about this and what about that and what do you think about Trump and and like i said Joe Biden was like you know the last guy you know that's obviously what he thinks about Trump so um last night he went to Milwaukee where he's um you know really now trying to promote his uh coronavirus relief package and he's out out around the country trying to make the case for it so um he has a 1.9 trillion dollar covid relief Relief package. He's trying to get that off the ground and and get support. And it appears that he's got pretty widespread support and, frankly, can pass it with just the Democrats, but certainly would want to have it be a bipartisan bill. Plenty of um, people who are impacted are as Republican as they are Democratic. Of course, the Republicans don't want the Democrats to do it because people will like it, people will succeed. At the end of the day, and while $1.9 trillion is a lot of money, one of the sticking points is well, you know, you can't give it to people who don't really need it. Well, you know, we can't afford to dilly dally waiting around to figure out exactly who needs it and who doesn't. So, one way to do that is to get the money out the door, then double back on when it comes time to do your taxes, and then, you know, figure out a formula for recouping. Uh, that lost revenue for people who didn't need it that's simple enough um the, the money it includes money for schools for retrofitting for vaccinations to set up vaccination centers and uh, you know just to do a lot of the stuff they need to do some special things need to be d- done to get vaccines out to rural areas and areas that don't have uh, easy access to to um, to hospitals and and the places where they're, you know, where they're setting up, you know, if they're setting up a big vaccination center at the Javits Center, for instance, in in New York or at a a Superdome or, you know, some place like that, well, a lot of people just don't, they don't have a car, they don't, there's no public transit, they don't have whatever, so it makes it harder to do, especially for the elderly. So, you know, setting up mobile mobile sites and, you know, mobile buses and vans and all this kind of stuff, communicating, getting the word out, all that's going to be important. At the end of the day, what we want, you know, and another another thing that is, that is um, being argued is that a lot of people who did not lose their jobs, but haven't really been able to go out and do stuff, haven't been traveling, haven't taken vacation, haven't Uh, been going to concerts and spending money on things that they might ordinarily do have now been able to save up a little nest egg, right? They've actually got money. They don't need new money. The reality is once the economy opens, once businesses start to reopen and people can start to travel. There's going to be a flood of money into the economy that will create jobs. The jobs that that creates and those people who are working will then have money to spend. That's how you get the, econ- the economy going. And but Biden is really trying to, you know, as they say, go big or go home. So the more money we get out the door, we get out there as at, while we're simultaneously doing all the vaccinations, getting people um you know, helping to slow down the spread of the virus, even with the, the variants, the UK and the African variants, we eventually will get to that that middle ground, right? Where We're not getting the new cases, the death rate, all of those numbers already coming down, but we're doing that while we're building up the economy and getting businesses back open, getting schools back open. So it looks like, you know, there's light at the end of the tunnel and maybe we're on track to be sort of Back to something that looks sort of normal by September, by next school year, um, you know, by the end of the summer and into the next school year, and maybe by next holiday season, we could actually have Christmas or Thanksgiving with family in person. So that's that's where we are um, with that. And again, Joe Biden is working on that. He's working on a uh, uh, immigration reform. Right. That's just something that is always on the on the back burner. And you know, it's just an ongoing thing, but he's actually trying to come up with solutions for that. Um, he's trying to come up. Well, we gotta get the education secretary in place in part so we can get schools back reopened. He's trying to get schools reopened. Um, he said within a hundred days, uh K through eight grade K through eight schools would be mostly reopened within a hundred days. So that's another couple of months, Um you know, which is sort of the end of the school year. So I'm not, you know, whatever. But that said, if they're sort of open by the end of the school year or, and or into the summer, then they should really have every, you know, be firing on all cylinders by September, by the next school year. I, for one, I'm happy since I have a kid in school and I just, He's in school. They have in-person school, but none of the activities are, you know, what I send him away for to college to get, other than the academic part. Yay, yay! But it's like, no. What about all the other enrichment activities and clubs and social things? There's there's a lot going on. So anyway, so that's Joe. Joe's doing his thing. Joe's moving forward. He's got multiple things. The, um, you know, the climate. Environmental stuff. He's got the immigration stuff. He's got the healthcare uh, stuff. He's got the education stuff. All these areas that were just failing. Joe is Joe's. Joe's on the job, so that's all good. So on the other side of the aisle, we have a Republican Party that is in a shambles because they allowed a demagogue, you know, who wanted to be an autocrat to come into their party, which was already a a mess, don't get me started, on the Republican Party in general. But for the most part, they were somewhat predictable and they sort of adhered to norms and rules and decorum and diplomacy and those kinds of things. They believed in um, the United States' position as a global leader, and our you know our role in the UN, and our role in NATO, and our role in uh, a global economy, and all that, then Trump came in with his you know it's uh, America, what he called America First, which was like America alone, just America, right? It's all about America, which is not the same as America First. But anyway, he comes in with this you know America First. Policy, which was a nebulous at best, and what he did was just like removed us. And, you know, made uh, uh, enemies of our allies. Tried to make friends of our enemies. Our enemies are still our enemies. They've been messing with us. China, Russia, especially Russia, but China, Russia, uh, Saudi Arabia. You know, all these places around the world. Um, uh, Syria. You know, there are things, whether they're messing with us personally or with those countries in the region that we're allied with. It's just been a mess. We're all over the place. So anyway. So you now have, though, the Trump Republican Party and then the tradition, what I would call the traditional Republican Party. Right. Which is Trump as the leader of one and. Sort of Mitch McConnell and maybe Mitch uh, Mitt Romney uh, leading the other, and you know, and of course nobody likes Mitt (laughs) anyway. Oh my God, Trump issued a statement yesterday where he just tore. I don't have it in front of me, so I can't read it to you. I'll find it and talk about it in the next episode or post it on the website, uh, the Capital G Podcast. Website and the capital G podcast Facebook page. But, um, Mitch Mc- uh, Trump is like, you know, Mitch is a dour old hack. <laughs> I love that he called him a hack. He's like, he doesn't know what he's talking about. And if the Republicans follow Mitch McConnell, they will never win again. And meanwhile, you got, you know, the Trump, for whatever reason, that these Republicans are up underneath, uh, uh, Donald Trump, the Lindsey Grahams and, and uh, Jim Jordan and those people, they're like, oh, no, we're Trump all the way. It's the craziest thing. So last week we had an impeachment trial. So the, uh, the House of Representatives impeached Trump on January 13th. And then when it was time to deliver the article of impeachment, once he was impeached, the trial happens in the Senate. So they were like, OK, well, we've got to deliver that paperwork, right? This conviction, this uh, not a conviction, but this indictment to the Senate where they're going to hold a trial. Well, Mitch McConnell is like, well, we're on recess. We're not going to receive it. So it had to wait till Mitch reconvened and he refused to reconvene early. So by the time Mitch McConnell reconvened the Senate, Joe Biden was president. I think he did it on the 19th. And obviously you're not going to have a trial in a half a day. Right. I mean, that just can't happen. It would have been hard enough to have a trial in the week, you know, because you've got to give both sides time to prepare. But, there, you know, and this was the uh, 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 one count of incitement to insurrection. So you end up having this trial. So when when it came time for the trial to come along, now we're into February, right? Um, The Republicans are like, well, we can't have a trial. You can't impeach a, a, a guy who's not even president anymore. Well, he was already impeached. He was impeached while he was president. The trial, sometimes trials come later. The trial, well, trials always come later, right? They always will come after the indictment. So anyway, but sometimes a weeks, months, years later. Anyway, so they get, they, it comes time to have the trial. And then the Republicans are like, well, he's out of office. If the, if the punishment, if he's convicted, if the punishment is we'll remove you from office. Well, he's already out of office. He's no longer president. Joe Biden is president. So what's the purpose? We don't have jurisdiction over, you know, a guy who's just, a, you know, a citizen, a, a, a public citizen. That's effectively what their argument was. Well, they had a vote on that, and the vote was that they did have the jurisdiction. So theoretically, that should have level set, right? That should have said, okay, now we've established, even if you didn't vote, that we had the right to to that we were the proper jurisdiction or we were the proper triers of fact for this impeachment trial, even if you voted against that, the fact is that it won. So now that establishes that as the baseline, and then you go from there. Well, the the, the House uh, impeachment managers came over, led by Jamie Raskin. and they did this amazing presentation with, with the facts and figures and video and examples and tweets and stories and articles and people and all this stuff that they brought, and they're like, here's our case, and they lay out the case. Trump's defense attorneys are like, eh, you know, they didn't do anything. Oh my God, they failed so miserably. Well, nobody in the world, other than, you know, maybe I don't know, the Fox News world, nobody thought they failed miserably. We all watched the whole thing unfold in front of our eyes. We know what happened. We know that in the intervening weeks, right, in the interregnum, the period from election day until, um, uh, uh, inauguration Day, we know that Trump was in, adamant that he had won, that it was rigged, that it was stolen. He had gone to every court. He had done, it, but he lost, 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 lost. I can say that sixty times because that's how many times he lost. So he, I believe, he actually had sixty-one cases. So, but he lost all of them except one. He won one little thing where he won the right to sit, like for his, for the inspectors or the the poll watchers to be like six feet closer or something like that. That's the only thing he wants. But on the merits of his case, there was never any proof. There was no proof submitted. There was no evidence. There was no anything. So anyway, so we go through this whole ordeal, right? For all these weeks where Trump is whipping up the crowd, doing whatever. Then he's like, you got to show up on the day that they're going to count the votes on January 6th. You got to show up. You got to show up. Then what happens? January 6th, they have this rally and rally. The people are, you know, whipped into a frenzy. And it's like they're stealing it. They're down there at that building right now, you know, stealing it from us. Go down there. You gotta stop them. Go fight, fight, fight. Um, Rudy Giuliani is like trial by combat. We need trial by combat. You got Junior, you got, you know, all the pillow guy, the my pillow guy. All these people are down there whipping up this crowd to a frenzy. The crowd goes down there. They storm the Capitol. Several people die, including a Capitol Police officer who's beaten to death. Other people, hundreds of people, 150 people were injured, like over 100 officers, Capitol Police and officers were injured. One lost an eye, one lost three fingers. One, you know, they're beaten. to. They've got brain injuries and all this other kind of stuff. These are, the, by the way, the, you know, all Blue Lives Matter people, Right. So, you know, we love our cops, but, you know, but you can beat them up. We love our flags. How dare Colin Kaepernick, you know, take a knee to make a statement, and, you know, at, during the national anthem. But instead, we'll take a flagpole with a flag attached to it and beat an officer about his head, body, and neck and shoulders to prove, you know, for some, for Donald Trump and not even see the irony of that. Okay. Anyway, so all of this, you know, but Trump's defense is like, yeah, there was nothing. You know, those people showed up. They were already planning to do some whatever, and they had nothing to do with Trump. And Trump, you know, he can't control what other people do. And he has a right to First Amendment, you know, freedom of speech. Well, no, he's the president. He has the right to follow his oath, which is to protect and defend. So when the riot started and the siege happened at the Capitol, Trump did nothing. Apparently, he sat there at the White House, at the People's House, watching it on TV wondering why everybody wasn't as giddy and excited as he was because hell these people are fighting for him that makes him that feeds his ego okay so uh so the the, the event happened uh at, at some point Trump came to know that it was happening he's watching it on TV he learns he calls what who he thinks is Tommy Tuberville but instead it's Mike Lee uh, at one point, he Trump did actually call Tommy Tuberville and he's like, hey, I need you to do it. And he's like, hey, dude, I can't talk. The, they just whisked out Mike, the vice president. He's being taken away and I got to go. So he hangs up. Well, that phone call is is a pretty significant phone call. Then Rudy called, uh, thinking he's calling Tuberville, he calls Mike Lee. Both of them somehow called Mike Lee. Uh, Trump at some point, I guess, called Tuberville as well, they think they're calling Tuberville. Why they've got Mike Lee's phone number associated with Tuberville is a whole other story. Mike Lee's from Utah. Tuberville is from what Alabama. Presumably, they have different area codes because he's called. They're calling cell phones. It's not like you're calling the offices. I don't imagine Mike Lee has a whatever Alabama's area code is. Anyway, so they they, they do all of this and. Uh, and at the end of the day, um, you know, that phone call got introduced in the evidence because they're like, you know, well, Trump didn't care. Not only is, did he encourage it leading up to it, but while it was happening, he didn't call in the National Guard. He didn't do anything to stop it. And then he tweets out that Mike Pence is a coward and didn't do what we needed him to do after he knew that Mike Pence was under attack and under siege. You got people running around talking about hang Mike Pence, hang Mike Pence. They've erected gall- gallows outside to hang them, presumably. They've got zip ties and stuff, that, these marauders, because they're going to. Um, because they're going to. Um, what, was, what, what was I going to say? Got, because they're going to take these people, they're going to kidnap them, take them into custody and do whatever it is that they needed to do. So that was all a, uh, you know, it was just the whole thing was a mess, right? Meanwhile, at the end of the day, down party lines, Republicans are like, yeah, you know, we, we voted to, to acquit because, well, it wasn't a along party lines, but 43, it was 43 to 57. So 43 Republicans are like, yeah, you know, we don't have jurisdiction. Well, we established you had jurisdiction back you know, a month ago, <laughs> you know, at the beginning, not a month ago, but at the beginning of the trial, that was the first thing that they established was that they did have jurisdiction. Um, uh, so at the end of the day, these people um, had this 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 whole, uh, uh, you know, ability to hide behind some You know, process thing. They hid behind it. And when all was said and done, when all was said and done, nothing, you know, Trump got to walk. Well, in the meantime, there were seven Republicans who did vote for uh, uh, to 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 convict. So 57 people is a majority. And so Trump and all them, though, those people saying that was overwhelming. It was clear that there was no, no, it was still 57 people. It wasn't the 67 needed. You need two thirds in order to convict. So that's where that ended up. In the meantime, uh, immediately afterwards, Mitch McConnell came out and gave this speech that left everybody gobsmacked and jaws dropped, where he basically was like, yeah, the House proved their case. Trump did it. He's a bad man. But, you know, this is we're not the ones to try it. He needs to basically go to criminal court. He needs to have this tried, you know, in court, which means that he's pawning it off to the people. Right. I'm going to protect myself and and the the Republicans politically because we don't want to go against Trump. But, you know, y'all jury of Trump's peers, you guys can do what you want to do. So let's take a listen to, to Mitch.
0: President Trump is still liable for everything he did while he was in office. As an ordinary citizen, unless the statute of limitations is run, still liable for everything he did while he's in office. Didn't get away with anything yet. Yet. We have a criminal justice system in this country, we have civil litigation. And former presidents are not immune from being accountable by either one. I believe the Senate was not was right. Not Let me, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna shut Let's this give. off
1: here. Let me shut this off here. So he's like, not yet. You know, he had not gotten away with anything yet. He did some stuff. He did all the things, but I'm just not. I'm not gonna hold him accountable which is not the sign of a leader. It's the sign of a loser, frankly. And now Trump has turned on him. Well, Trump never did like him. And Mitch never did deliver what Trump wanted or said. He didn't give him money for his wall. He didn't give him money for whatever, but he's like, okay, well, let's, let's, um, you know, but he, they tolerated each other. Mitch got his tax cuts. That was all that he really cared about. And he got judges, right? He got judges. He got three Supreme Court justices. But, you know, all the other Trump stuff, Mitch wasn't didn't really care about that. So Trump never really got what he wanted. Mitch got you know, most of what he wanted. Now Trump is gone. Mitch doesn't want to turn on him because he's trying to keep his Republican caucus together. Because at the end of the day, he wants to be the the leader of the House again, the uh, 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 Senate Majority Leader again. So, you know, I, they all can go away. But at the same time, so now you've got the seven. So that was Mitt Romney, uh, Lisa Murkowski, Susan Collins, uh, William Burr from, where's William Burr from? Somewhere back east. Um North Carolina. I think he's North Carolina. He may be South Carolina. I think he's North Carolina. Um, Yeah, he is North Carolina Um, because Tim Scott and Lindsey Graham are South Carolina. So he's North Carolina. A couple of others, right? So it was a total of seven who voted to convict Trump. Well, now in their states, they're being held out to dry, right? The Republican, uh, the lo- the the state Republican parties are censuring them and chastising them. And, you know, and it's like, oh my God, you you turned on, we can't possibly, you know, have you in our ranks. It's the whole thing is just ridiculous. Um, So you've got the, the one side that's like, you know, we got to get back to some normal operations. And then you've got these, Trump nuts that are like, what is, you know, how dare you turn against Trump and he's everything. Here's Lindsey Graham. Oh my God, Lindsey Graham of, you know, who used to be the best friend of John McCain. And I think people thought he was certainly reasonable. He's just gone off the deep end. Again, I'm convinced that Trump has something on all these people and he's blackmailing them. But even so it's like, then leave, leave, just quit. Then you don't have to be blackmailed anymore. But maybe they can't get another job. We'll get to that in a minute. But here's Lindsey Graham talking about how the Republican Party can't exist without Donald Trump, they'll never win again.
2: I thought the impeachment trial was not only unconstitutional, I condemn what happened on January the 6th, but the process they used to impeach this president was an affront to rule of law. He's the first president to ever impeached, be impeached without a lawyer, without a witness, without ability to confront the those against him. And the trial record was a complete joke. Hearsay upon hearsay, and we've opened Pandora's box to future presidents, and if you use this model, I don't know how Kamala Harris doesn't get impeached if the Republicans take over the House, because she actually bailed out rioters, and one of the rioters went back to the streets and broke somebody's head open. So we've opened Pandora's box here, and I'm sad for the country.
1: Okay, first of all, that was just asinine. So Lindsey Graham is basically threatening Democrats. If you guys don't back off, then we'll do this. It'll be a tit for tat. We'll impeach Kamala. I don't know what you're going to impeach her for, I guess, remove her as vice president or when she becomes, I don't know. I don't even know what he's talking about. But last year when there were the the, uh, uh, protests for George Floyd and we had protests around the country, a lot of people, because Trump's goons were out there a lot of people got arrested and, you know, some people needed to be arrested. There was some looting, there was some vandalism, there was some, you know, various things. It wasn't all peaceful. Um, Most of those, uh, uh, most of the um, protests were peaceful. The overwhelming majority were peaceful. Some of them that started off peacefully ended up not so much, sometimes because outside groups came and agitated, Um, sometimes because people just were hot and bothered and upset and vandalized and looted or whatever. That was definitely not the norm. And, but some people got caught up and got arrested and, you know, defense funds were set up for them and Kamala Harris supported that. Somehow Lindsay equates that Kamala Harris saying, Hey, you know, let me help, you know, people need to be helped so that they're not railroaded into, you know, being unnecessarily prosecuted. And maybe one person then went and did some committed a crime. That is not the same as Kamala Harris standing on a soapbox for two months screaming at the top of her lungs about how she was cheated, 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 cheated. was stolen, was stolen, was stolen, was stolen, and then riled up a mob to go out and do something. So I, I don't even know what Lindsay's talking about. But that, oh my God, and Trump, and he's the future of our party, and without Trump, you know, you know, we need Lynn, Mitch McConnell, everybody, you know, you guys got to get on the right side. You got to get on Trump's side because he's where the party is. That's a pretty, you know, that's pretty significant. That's how Lindsay fails. That's what he's been saying over the last few days. And that tension is going to drive, is going to drive Republican politics certainly for the next couple of years. Um, to that, though, Nancy Pelosi—I gotta love her. Uh, everybody doesn't, obviously, but Nancy Pelosi was like, "What? Oh, why do you leave? If you know the 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 country, the Constitution, the um, what do you call it—the the Constitution and the the um, democracy itself." Has to be more important than anybody's one job. It's like, go get another job. It's like, dude, is this like the only thing? Is this the only
2: thing you can do? Let's listen to Nancy. It reminds me that when we recruit candidates to run for office or we see them self recruiting, we always say, and they'll say, well, I could be the president of my university or I could be the head of my hospital department or this or that. and So I have to think about whether I run for Congress. We always say, we don't want anybody without options. That's why we're looking to you to run, because you have options. That shouldn't be a reason for you not to run. But what we saw in that Senate today was a cowardly group of Republicans who apparently have no options because they were afraid to defend their job respect the institution in which they served. Imagine that it would be vandalized in so many bad ways that I won't even go into here and that they would not respect their institute. That the president of the Senate, Mike Pence, hang Mike Pence was the chant and they just dismissed that. Why? Because maybe they can't get another job. What is so important about any one of us? What is so important about the political survival of any one of us that is more important than our constitution that we take an oath to protect and defend?
1: That really is the question of the day of the week of the year of the century that, you know, and a lot of, a lot of Congress people have, they're like, I'm not going to run again. I can't be effective in this. They don't want to be caught up. It's like, I'm a conservative. I believe in these conservative principles, but this is a, a, a bridge too far. Some of them are like, you know what though, i got to stay in it. Cause I want to stay to fight, but it's like, but you're not fighting if you keep voting in lockstep with your party. So Adam Kinzinger, um, Mitt Mitt Romney, Susan Murkowski, again, those those people, they have sort of, you know, taken a stand, especially Adam Kinzinger, but they've taken a stand and they're like, okay, this is what I'm going to, you know, I'm going to stand my ground. Um, So then the question becomes, will they be there to pick up the pieces of the Republican Party once, you know, once the... um, once the fever breaks, right, and people, you know, Trump loses favor, just like Sarah Palin, right? She used to be so popular and nobody ever hears about her. Maybe that'll be Trump in another year or whatever, or maybe he will be in prison. He's, I mean, oh my God, his his rape case against E. Jean Carroll, I'm sorry, it's not rape case. It's a defamation case because she said that he raped her and he said, I wouldn't rape her. She's not good enough looking for me to rape. She's not my type or she's lying. So now she's suing him for defamation um the you know the new york attorney general that you know they've got all kinds of stuff going on and then now there's a new case down in uh uh georgia about the phone call with raffensburger down there the the uh, secretary of state where trump is like hey i just need you to find me 11780 votes just one more than joe biden has so that i can win well that's against the law you can't uh solicit somebody to to uh, uh, break the law and, and change votes. So that's a federal crime. Um, so there's all kinds of stuff going on. And what's going to happen is, you know, the, the, apparently they're going to take their sides. I yeah, Maybe the Democrats will benefit in the meantime, because they're like in the, you know, it's like, well, while the two of them are fighting, Joe Biden is sitting back in the cut doing what he needs to do and if we if the the democrats can pick off a few republicans every time then everything becomes bipartisan you know these maybe it's just those seven senators maybe it's two or three of them sometimes you don't need any of them right um if joe can get this 1.9 trillion dollar package over the over the finish line or something that looks like that not the 400 million or whatever they were offering in in uh, uh as an alternative you know, that'll go a long way, but they don't want Joe to win. If America, if Joe wins and America wins, then they will really never get elected because people are like, well, we really don't need that. And this was really a better way. And the Democrats just govern better. So we'll look to see how that goes. In the meantime, I just want to point out one other thing as I start to wrap up. Um, an article came out over the weekend uh, in Political magazine, called Nikki Haley's Time for Choosing. And it was a really interesting article. I encourage you to read it. And, and it, it sort of, it goes to this civil war, right? Nikki Haley um, was formerly the governor of South Carolina. And she, it's North Carolina, South Carolina. Again, I get the Carolinas mixed up. I believe it was South Carolina. She was the governor of South Carolina. Um, she was the one when they had that mass shooting the, at the church, uh, the Dylan Roof shooting at the church. That you know, she finally was like, you know what? We're going to take down the Confederate flag that's hanging at the state house. So she gets a lot of credit for that because that obviously is seen as something that's empathetic toward communities of color. Um, it was obviously long overdue, but she's the one who did it. She is um, Indian in a, a, a American, uh Indian American. Um her family are Sikhs, right? So she's she's diverse. She's a woman and she's got diversity. She's a woman of color. Um, so now there's a there's a question. You know, everybody suspects she's going to run. You know, well, she's going to, she's going to run for president. But she did go to work for Trump. She left uh uh North Carolina or South Carolina and she was the UN ambassador. Under Trump, and she did that for, you know, a couple of years, two or three years, or something. And she left relatively unscathed, right? She left, she wasn't totally smeared. She seemed like she would stand up to him like she was still strong. She didn't go down that road. And she's like, you know, I can talk to Trump. I can deal with him. i'm I'm pretty straightforward, blah blah, blah. Anyway, so now, though, she came out after the January sixth riot. And she was like, you know what? Trump was wrong. Trump was bad. Trump was this, that, and the other. She didn't go full bore. She didn't do like Mitch McConnell, but she was like, you know, we've got to get back to whatever. So now the question is, you know, she's sort of a political chameleon, right? She looks to see which way the wind is blowing and she'll do. And she's got good political instincts. And she's, like I said, she's a woman. She's got a lot of things going for her. at least on paper, Republicans, you know, it's like, oh, now we need a woman, right? Because they figure any woman can, you know, oh, you have estrogen, then you could, you know, be the first woman president. So whether uh, Nikki Haley or or uh, uh, you know Ivanka Trump, <laughs> you know, they resurrect uh, 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 Sarah Palin. You know, they just think that, you know, anybody is Hillary Clinton, right? You can compete. Sarah Palin and Hillary Clinton, aren't they the same? No, they're not the same. Um, anyway, but this article is a really interesting look at one, at Nikki Haley, like her, how she came to be, how she uses her power, but also what's wrong with her and what's wrong with politics. It was, it was just, I encourage you to, to take a listen, but the question sort of is, will she as the leader, right? maybe her, maybe Mitt. Mitt already had a a nomination, so I don't know if they would go there again. But Nikki Haley is the person that I presume the establishment Republicans will start to rally around as their next, as their standard bearer, as the person to to put out there. And presumably it would be her against uh, uh, Kamala Harris in 2024. All the Uh, Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio and, you know, those guys, they want to run too, right? Josh Hawley, those guys, they want to run for president too. That is what they're gearing up for. So again, watching all these dynamics, all these different relationships, it'll be interesting to see where it all leads us um, as we watch the politics in Washington, D.C. So I'm going to leave you uh, today with one final thing. Um, in terms of like who might be down the line, I, I I don't think I grabbed the clip, but Lindsey Graham was you know, Laura Laura uh, because uh, William uh, not William Barr Burr Burr B U R B U R R from South Carolina voted against Trump. Lindsey is like you know what, Burr just really messed up you know, uh, and Laura Bush had already uh, not. Laura uh, Trump, she's married to Eric. I don't remember if he's, is that Beavis or is that Butthead? or Kuse. So anyway, uh, Eric Trump's wife, who's been working, you know, doing Trump TV and Trump stuff for these whole four years or five years, if you include the campaign trail, who apparently Trump doesn't even know who she is, didn't know who she was. Um, but anyway, since she's doing stuff for Trump, he I guess now knows who she is. Well, she's apparently gonna run for Senate. And she never held office, but she's gonna run for Senate because that's what they think. They don't need to start at city council or mayor of a small town and work their way up. They just started, you know, senator, president, whatever. So she's apparently gonna run. And Lindsay's like, you know what? Burr, by voting against Trump, just made her a shoe-in, and I'm going to support. Laura Trump for Senate. In spite of the fact that he's been friends and known Burr for years, years and years and years, he's going to throw that out the window because he's so into Trump that he's going to support Trump's daughter-in-law, his unqualified daughter-in-law. So that's where we are. I'm here for it. I'm going to pop the popcorn and we'll be reporting back on it. But for now, thank you for listening. Uh. I hope you have a beautiful day. Uh, If you like what you heard, I please encourage you to share it and comment or leave a message um, on your favorite platform, wherever you listen, whether it's, you know, Apple or Spotify or Anchor. Um, I encourage you to uh, leave a comment, leave a rating and share it with your family and friends. Again, I'm your host, Greer McVeigh, and that was Politics with a Capital G.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode of Capital G. As always, you can find show and host information at Podcast.com and even more information and commentary on the Capital G blog, which you can also access through CapitalGPodcast.com. If you liked what you heard, please share the show with your friends and subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform.